You're listening to a C3 Victory podcast. To find out more, visit us online at c3victory.org.au. has been mucking up my order lately, which he likes to do. And, um, but I think it's just this reminder that whenever we seek to know him and seek to understand and we read the word and wherever we, I guess, delve into theology, it always has to lead us to the person of Jesus. Otherwise, it's just really good truths. And I was actually practicing my sermon on my husband, and he just kept saying all the way through, which was really annoying me. He kept saying, Yeah, well, you're just telling me stuff, but what does it mean? And um, as I was just worshiping then, that's, that's that revelation. Like, we can read the word, and it can tell us stuff. And I've got an incredible passage of scripture today, which has. So much stuff that if I was to preach to you all of it, we would be here for weeks and months on end, and that was part of my problem this week. But in the end, if it's only telling us stuff, we walk out of here knowing something, maybe knowing something good to do, but we fail to encounter this person of Jesus. And my hope today is that we will encounter Jesus. And if all is said and done and you take nothing else from today, just take Jesus with you. Just take an encounter and a revelation of him that transforms some part of your world because that's the greatest gift that we ever have. So we're just going to pray, Holy Spirit, you know what you want to do today. And you know the exact message that not just one or two here need to hear, but your love for everybody here is so incredible that you want everybody to encounter you. And so I just pray that you will do what words cannot do, what good preaching cannot do. You will take this word and you will make it life. In everybody who is here, you bring out a nugget of truth that just transforms something that we're stuck on so that we walk out of here empowered in your mighty presence. The Holy Spirit, we just thank you for your gift. We thank you that you breathe life and we stand on the scripture that it's not by might, it's not by power, but it's by the Spirit. It's by the Spirit, says the Lord. Amen. Amen. Hello, church. Hey, it's a privilege to be here today. Let me turn on my iPad. I couldn't leave it on all the time because... You know, I rock up to it today and there's 15% left on it because certain children have been playing and not telling me. So I gave it a quick charge and I'm hoping that it will make it to the end of the sermon. But then maybe that's the Holy Spirit's plan halfway through. So we'll see where we go. But um, hey, there's a bit of a joke between Simon and myself that we really don't know anything, much about anything in terms of what's happening in the popular world out there. Now, music would be one area. And it's not that we don't love music, um, but it could be something to do that we're a little bit slow to convert to the new way of streaming anything. (laughs) So we are the family with no streaming, no Netflix, no music streaming, no nothing. 
Um, so that could be a part of it. Um, but honestly, I think it's just I would be the one that would investigate and do this. And I like silence. And I live in a very busy house. And for me, when the kids put music on, it's like the tipping point of insanity that I am trying to live life with that noise on top of all the other noise. And when they're not around, I just love silence. So that's probably it. But anyway, I say all of this because I have apparently been living under a rock when it comes to a huge change in the life of a very famous singer named Kanye West. Okay? So is there anybody else under a rock like me? Awesome. So you guys will learn something today too because Pastor Darren filled me in on this during the week. Okay? So now Kanye is pretty famous. I had heard of his name and I wasn't so far out of it that I hadn't heard that he'd released an album called Jesus is King. I am on Instagram and I don't think you could not be on Instagram and not see that. So I did know about that, but beyond that, I had no idea what was going on. So anyway, he's famous. He's married to Kim Kardashian. I was a bit disappointed this week when I saw that Keely had had her baby because Pastor Jez was trying to flog off Epaphrodite's last week as a baby name, which is totally not right because she could have had one of his names for his kids. So Tamika, and you can pass this on for me, Georgia. She could choose Chicago, Psalm, Saint or North. All much more valid, I think, options than Epaphrodite's. But anyway, he's pretty famous. So Pastor Darren told me, you know, he's sold 140 million records. He's won 21 Grammy Awards. He's got 32 million monthly listeners on Spotify. And apparently his new album topped Apple Music in 90 nations. It's number one on Spotify and Amazon. And it's trending number one on Twitter this week. So he's kind of a big deal. Okay, so now you all know. You know who he is. So now I'm going to let you know why I'm talking about him. So apparently way back in January, how embarrassing is that? It's November. But apparently in January, something happened in his world and his life began to change. And he started to run these Sunday services where he's inviting celebrities and the public to come and listen to gospel versions of his music and also hear a message about Jesus. Now that's pretty radical, right? Now he's not perfect. And it's pretty raw, but I mean, honestly, if we're all actually honest, aren't we all pretty raw? And you've got to ask the question, well, why is he doing this? And in his own words, I actually did watch a few interviews of his this week, and they're quite compelling. In his own words, this is what he says, he has had an encounter with Jesus, and this encounter has changed his life. Now, the Bible says that out of the heart, our mouth speaks, right? Out of his heart, he is saying that he now has found a personal relationship with Jesus that is far more deeply satisfying and meaningful than all of that success that I just laid out for you. And it's so much so that it has actually changed the external appearance of his life. Now, he says some pretty funny things and, and he's got some, you know, the way of outworking this new relationship that might make you cringe a little bit. But he is no doubt saying that everything in Jesus is greater than anything I had before. And I think that's amazing and I think that's worth celebrating, right? Wherever the gospel is preached, it's a good thing. Amen. So today in our scripture, we're kind of reading about a similar person, and that's the Apostle Paul. So the Apostle Paul was born into everything you could possibly dream of in the Jewish life. 
Okay, so he lived in the highest regard. I kind of imagine Paul showing up to the temple. He'd get like the prime camel donkey parking spot. I don't know what they rode. You know, at the front of the temple, he was in the right crowd. He was at the right parties. He'd have like the VIP seating on the front row. Like he was it. He was the man. And then he goes on this journey and he encounters Jesus on a dusty road and his entire life changes. He finds this personal relationship with Jesus is far more amazing and significant than anything he has ever had before. And so that's the context. I just want you to remember Paul because he's the one writing this letter. So everything that springs out comes from this revelation that he's had. And so why don't you grab your Bibles and we're up to chapter 3 in our series. Pastor Jazz left us off last week with just this thought that, hey, it's all about relationship with Jesus. And that's exactly where we're picking up this week. So chapter 3, we're going to be reading from 1 to 14. And it says, Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it's a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision. We who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus and who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. I mean, if someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained all this, or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to yet have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is ahead, or forgetting what is behind, you don't forget what's ahead, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on to the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. That's a pretty passionate scripture from Paul. And do you know what I love? It's kind of filled with all these, oh, that's not a very religious term, Paul. That's a bit messy right in there. I just think it's in there to show us he's pretty passionate about this. And this passage of scripture is answering some pretty key questions. And I, you know, in reading this, I think we need to ask ourselves, what is Paul saying to the Philippians here that he is so passionate about? I mean, why is he insulting them? calling them dogs, evildoers, and mutilators of the flesh. Who, who is this them that he's insulting and why? Because it, it doesn't really fit our Christian character. And what? When we all said and done, we figure out that, what has that got to do with us today? 
And I'd like to thank Pastor Nate. He said, we're going to cover every bit of this scripture. And so he passed on to me circumcision, dog, mutilators of the flesh, and evildoers. And I promise I will tackle all of that because there's a whole rich meaning behind it that when we understand it, it helps us apply that to our lives today. So we will promise it all. We will cover it all. Sorry, I promise that to you. And um, I believe that Jesus is going to speak to us through that, and uh, we're going to see what's most important in life, right? Now, I was thinking about this one thing, and, and I wonder whether anybody here has had the amazing experience, like Simon and I, of traveling to an overseas country without your passports. Anybody? Wouldn't recommend it. It's something that we recently did. We used our passports to get onto the flight, but somewhere between the flight and arriving in Hawaii, they just disappeared. And so we arrive at Border Control in Hawaii with no passports. And I learned a very important lesson here. Nothing else cuts it. It's a passport and it's a passport alone. It didn't matter that we had driver's licenses. It didn't matter that I'm a pastor, so I'm full of integrity, so I must be telling the truth. It didn't matter that Simon is a businessman. I mean, we could have got the, la- the mayor of Lake Macquarie on the phone to vouch for us. That didn't matter one little bit. It didn't matter that we promised we were who we said we were. It didn't matter that I cried a lot. In the end, you have to have a passport. A passport gets you in. And I also learned a passport doesn't only get you in, but you actually need it to move around. Because, you know, you've got to get in through the first bit and then you need it when you go to security and then you need it when you go to try and fly domestic and then you need it when you've got to get your luggage and then you need it when you actually get to the hotel and you're trying to check in. It's really important. It didn't matter what else we had. There was just this one thing and one thing only that was going to get us in and was going to keep us there once we got there. So we learned that lesson the hard way. And I kind of feel that Paul is tackling this issue today of one thing. Now, he knows from Epaphrodites that there's some stuff that's been happening in the church, his beloved church that he really loves, right? And he's saying that all the question that's being asked sounds a bit like, well, Paul said that we needed one thing to be accepted into God's family and to stay in relationship. So Paul said that it's Jesus. But now we've got these really good-looking people who follow the law and they look really religious and righteous and they're telling us that there's something else we need to do as well. You know, we need the passport but also all the right stamps in the passport to be accepted. So what do we actually need to be saved? And what do we actually need to stay saved? Like how do I actually be a part of God's family? And that's a pretty big question to be asking, which I think is why Paul is so passionate here. He's like, hey, Philippians, I told you this. I told you what the foundation was. I told you all that you needed to stay here. Don't be be distracted or bewitched by something else that looks really good. Because in the end, it's not about this what, but you've got to stick with who. Who arrested your heart in the first place? And so there's... There's this thing going on. And for us to kind of understand how that applies today, we probably need to understand who these other people are. This is where we get to the fun bits of the scripture. So we've got the Philippians, so they're Gentiles. That just means that they're not Jews. So they're Christians, 
um, and they came to Christ through Paul. So he has led them to, led them to Christ through the saving grace of Jesus and, and they've experienced the Holy Spirit and they're walking out their salvation with Jesus and they're excited because they've had an encounter just like Kanye, just like me, just like Paul, just like anybody who is here. If you call yourself a Christian, you've had an encounter with Jesus, right? So they've had this. They know what they've got. And then along come these Judaizers, and they look really good. Now, they're Christians, but they're also Jews. And they begin quoting to the Old Testament. They begin quoting to the Philippians this Old Testament, and they're saying, well, this is great that you've got Jesus, but there's also something else you need. Now, if you go back to Genesis 17, you will see that God made a special covenant with his people. And the sign of that covenant was that they were circumcised. Every boy would be circumcised on the eighth day. So if you want to be in this family, that's awesome. What you need to do now is to be circumcised. It doesn't sound so bad. In the context of, I'm not a male. In the context, listen, peoples, in the context of it's just something you have to do. It would be very painful at that stage. But the funny thing is they weren't getting caught up on the circumcision. They, they were going to go into this. You think you'd be like, oh, no way. I don't need that. I've just got Jesus. But they were actually considering this grace plus something else factor. And what Paul is seeing here is that this issue is so much bigger than circumcision. It's not just about circumcision. And he leaves no doubt that he doesn't agree with these teachers. So he calls them dogs, evildoers and mutilators of the flesh. I wonder if I got up here today and used some choice words to describe Christians that try and distract you from Jesus. I might get a talking to from Pastor Keith and Janet next week. So we've got to ask the question, how come Paul did this here? Now, there's a lot of meaning behind the words that Paul is using here. I saw an ad on TV the other day for donuts. Has anybody seen donuts? They are donuts for dogs. D-O-M-U-T-S. You can buy donuts for dogs. I'm like, is there anything you can't get for your dog these days? Like, they are pride of place in families. I saw Joy's dog dressed up as a pirate the other day. Like, we, we love our dogs. I'm not a dog lover, but you people who have dogs, you love your dogs, right? Only when they behave. Fair enough. But back in Greco-Roman culture, it was the exact opposite. So a dog is the low-life animal of society. And actually, the Jews used to call the Gentiles dogs, and it was an incredible insult. You know, you are lower than the lowest animal of society. So Paul is turning the tables here. He is taking these people that look super good, and he's actually saying, no, they're the low-life. They're like right down here. Don't fall for their teaching. And he calls them evildoers. He's saying they look the goods, but their heart on the inside is actually evil. This is really harsh. And he calls them mutilators of the flesh. What's that all about? They come to the Philippians and, and they're looking like they're offering this very holy and pure cutting of the flesh, right? Through circumcision, ordained by God. But the word Paul used here actually likens that cutting to a ritual that pagan priests would do as a part of their pagan worship. So Paul is actually calling these people, you know, this is like pagan, you know, pagan priests is the reality of what they're offering you here. So, you know, it's pretty, pretty passionate about the fact that they don't speak the truth. So what is so wrong and what's got Paul so fired up? It's because Paul's been there. 
If you look through verses five to six, he gives you his very impressive resume. And he's kind of saying, do you know what? If you want to consider this an option, okay, so if you want to have a look at this whole way that the Judaizers are talking about, then you need to go to the Judaizer of the Judaizers. And that was me. I'd been there and I'd done it all. And here's what I'll tell you about the whole thing. Putting my hope and my confidence in that type of righteousness instead of relationship with Jesus was empty. It was meaningless. It just led me down a slippery slope of being justified by works. And there absolutely is an outworking of salvation. And Paul is not renouncing his heritage here. He's not saying don't serve God, but he's saying that if our confidence is in something that we're doing to be a part of God's family, then that is not the new way that Jesus ushered in with the new covenant. Jesus said, it's by faith in me alone that means that you are a part of God's family and that you are accepted into his family. You walk out in the confidence of that acceptance. That is an amazing truth that it's only Jesus. That's all you have to remember from that point today. It's only Jesus. There's only one way to enter into relationship with God, Jesus. And there's only one way that you have to stay in relationship with God, Jesus. It's just really simple. It's Jesus. In every aspect of life, this is what I felt the Holy Spirit was prompting. Everything that you do, whether, whether you're checking out Christianity for the first time, right? You may be here and you're like, well, I don't really know this, Jesus. Is this actually real? What does it mean to be saved? The answer to that question is Jesus. And if you're early on in your Christianity and you're like, well, I don't quite know what this life looks like now. The answer is Jesus. And if we're mature in our faith, we don't outmature Jesus because he still remains that central founding factor in our entire Christianity where when all is said and done, it comes back to Jesus' reality in our world. It all comes back to Jesus, not what we do, not what we look like. It's about when people see us, do they see a passionate pursuit of Jesus? Because that's what the Christian life is all about. And I love that it's so simple. And I love that from that springs all this other stuff. We do things because we love Jesus. We serve at church because we love Jesus. We, you know, go and help the poor. We serve in a soup kitchen because we love Jesus, not because we're trying to earn our way into his family or try and find something to satisfy our soul because we have the person, the only person, who will ever satisfy us. And that's why in verse 3, Paul says, we are the circumcision. Gentiles, we, those who have accepted Jesus, are the people of God. You who serve God by your Holy Spirit and boast in Jesus. There's the Trinity right there. You believe in Jesus, the Holy Spirit helps you outwork life as a Christian, and we're all looking to God, right? That is this beautiful, it's just amazing. It's amazing who God is and all the facets of who he is. And he echoes it in verses seven to nine. You know, he's talking about, I consider absolutely everything a loss. There is not one thing in life that is more important than knowing Jesus. And I know that I can gain him. Everything else is garbage, Because I found that righteousness, which is simply relationship with God, right relationship with God, right standing before God, having your sins taken away and being able to stand pure and holy in his sight, that comes through Jesus and faith in Jesus alone. 
This is incredibly freeing. It frees us into a life of, of loving Jesus and doing amazing things with him, but not for him. You know, and sometimes we can get lost in passages like this. So luckily, the Apostle Paul sent me an email this morning and he wrote a letter for us, church. And it kind of goes along these lines. And he says, you know, watch out for people who tell you there are things you do to keep God happy with you because you can't earn your way into his family. Being a Christian is believing in Jesus, what he has done for you to restore relationship with God. That's where it started and that's where it stays. The Holy Spirit is with us because of this. He's the key to walking out this life. I mean, if you could earn your way to heaven, I would have done it years ago. I am the definition of super pastor, super Christian. I was baptized when I was a child. I'm the son of a pastor. I've got Christian heritage back five generations to great old Uncle David and Granny Ruth. I'm a church board member, a worship leader, a youth leader, a church events manager. I'm involved in every citywide outreach. I'm a zealous protester of anything that speaks against the church or removes God from society. Did you get that? I followed all the rules. I didn't do anything that caused anyone to stumble. I didn't watch movies. I didn't listen to music. I didn't eat pork. I didn't read newspapers, lest something unclean entered my heart. But it didn't get me closer to God. I kind of got it all wrong. I met Jesus and everything changed. Everything paled in comparison to him. I was amazed at what he did for me. I was welcomed into his family, but there was even more. I didn't just meet Jesus, I got to know him. He was everything in my life and he not only took away my sin, but he gave me this whole new way of living. I thought I had to do all these things to make God happy, but there was only one thing God was looking for and it was me. All he wanted was me to accept the gift in Jesus so that my sin is taking away and now he sees Jesus in me. I'm not relying on my good things outweighing my bad things. I could never keep up on that score. But I get the privilege of knowing and following Christ and only he gives meaning to my life and one day I'll meet him face to face. This is my prize at the end of my life. I'm going to keep my eyes focused on it. I mean, can you imagine face to face eternity with Jesus? There's nothing worth more than this and I'm going to run to that prize with everything because of the life God made possible for me. That would be Paul's letter to you, church. I don't know about you, but I'd get that and I'd be like, I'm in. I want some of that. That sounds like an amazing life. And it is when the foundation of it is on Jesus. So that's great. And that sounds really simple. And so what does it mean for us today? And if we're honest, how quickly can we fall away from this passionate pursuit of only Jesus by things that sound kind of good? Or maybe when life gets a little bit hard, maybe when there's a little bit of social, social persecution against being a Christian, and we try and kind of water down the gospel a little bit, just take out that saving power and lordship of Jesus and let's just focus on the good works, on the good person. Or maybe in your life you start out with really good intentions and you're serving and you're loving Jesus, but then life just catches up and suddenly you realize that you're serving a lot, but you've kind of lost the heart of it. And the passionate pursuit of Jesus is somewhere back here. You know, I see Instagram quotes flying left, right and centre, often from Christians that sound really loving and pleasing and inclusive, but at their heart, they share this saving power of Jesus with something else. 
because it's not very acceptable in today's society to say that Jesus is the only way. He's the only thing that you need to be saved and he's the only thing that you need to stay in the family of God. It's not okay to say that anymore, but church, this is the reality. That doesn't change the truth of the fact that it is only Jesus. And it's not a theological concept, but it's a reality of life and love and relationship and experience. And our Instagram feeds and our conversations, they need to be filled with the life of Jesus. Not putting down the church, not trying to say, well, maybe we should just oh, not talk about that because that's kind of gone a bit uh, yucky in the past. The church, yeah, I don't go to church, I go to a community Do you know what? God loves his church. He loves his bride. And it hasn't been represented well. But because of that, we don't hide away ashamed from the gospel. We don't hide away ashamed of the church or ashamed of Jesus. Now more than ever, people need to see the real Jesus and the real church. We have an opportunity to show, you know what? This isn't just a club that we joined, but it's a relationship that we're in. And above everything else, we love Jesus. How amazing is that? The Holy Spirit is just saying, do you know what? It's only Jesus. Jesus came and he was the most loving and inclusive person that ever walked this earth. And he said, salvation is wide open. Everybody is welcome. But he also said, I'm the way, the truth and the life. And nobody comes to the Father except through me. That's the beauty of Jesus. There is no other way except through him and church. I just see this incredible Oh, opportunity that we get to be these passionate followers of Jesus and that people get to meet the real Jesus through us. Amen? That was point one. Point two is going to be really short. (laughs) So when I was preparing this sermon, I kind of felt that I kind of had these two sermons. I'm like, God, I don't quite see how they connect here. But there's just so much in this scripture and so much that I would love to draw out. But God gave me this picture of a house. And he said, well, the foundation is Jesus. Jesus alone to save, Jesus alone to keep you saved, to stay in your relationship with God, right? But you don't see that foundation. You see it through the house that's built on top. So that aspect of Jesus comes out in your Christian life. That's what we're just talking about. We want the world to see the real Jesus, not the image of Jesus that they have from people that have done the really wrong thing. And so we've got to ask the question, well, then what does the Christian life really look like? How do I demonstrate Jesus? How does it look to a world that has a completely wrong perception? And there's lots of things, but you will discover them over time because it's not like, I don't know, here, just do this five-point plan and that's Jesus. The key here is that every wall we put up, every window, every door, every decorative trim, it all comes out of a relationship where you're following Jesus. There isn't some picture that you look at and then, okay, this is, this is what I'll do. It comes out of this real, living relationship where you're following Jesus wherever he goes. You know, we're going to read uh, verses 10 to 14. I might paraphrase them a bit. Where Paul is saying, I want to know Jesus. I want to know this power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings. I haven't obtained all this. I'm pressing on to take hold of this prize and this goal which God is calling me heavenward for. And, you know, we read this, particularly that last bit, the analogy of this runner and we're running for this prize and, yes, come on, let's go. And 
And that's amazing. And there's a lot to get excited about. And, and it's true. The Christian life is this passionate pursuit of following Jesus. For now and in all of eternity, that's what it looks like. This relationship we have that hears his voice and guides us in every step that we, we take. And I think if I just really majored on that, which I could have, we'd all be like, I want in. Absolutely, I want into that. But you've got to see a both end in Paul's writings. This is the bit that we don't really like to dwell on. But he kind of said that he wants to willingly participate in the suffering of Christ becoming like him in his death. That's kind of a downer. But the truth is the Christian life is also a passionate pursuit of the laying down our lives kind of following with Jesus. It's a passionate pursuit of following Jesus even when there's persecution and suffering because you do follow Jesus. Or it's this passionate pursuit of following Jesus when life is not rosy, when stuff just happens because it does. Stuff happens to great people. Life is unfair sometimes. Paul's own story is this. I don't have time to read it, but Go and live in Paul's world for a little while in 2 Corinthians 11:23. 23. He's talking about prisons and floggings and death and lashes and rods and shipwrecks and stones. And I think he's been in danger from everything. There wasn't anything not in there. He's labored and toiled. He's hungered and thirst. He's cold and naked. And above all of that, he loves his churches so much that he lives daily in concern for them. When Paul is writing this, it is not some theological, empty, rah-rah message from Paul. You can do it. I am staggered and challenged to think about the life of Paul and how he could go through all of that. And yet, do you ever find in his writings where he is not full of faith and hope in Jesus? Now, I don't know, and he's not perfect and I'm sure there's times where he went, I'm not doing that. But what we see from the life of Paul is that he followed Jesus wherever Jesus went, even when he knows that that's gonna take him to prison, to death, to persecution, to suffering, because Paul had this incredible revelation that knowing Christ comes in both the moments of power and the moments of suffering. Don't avoid the very things that God is outworking an incredible miracle in your life in. And there's this other revelation that this is not all there is. This is His whole analogy at the end. The reason the Christian life is so amazing, the reason we can follow Christ with such joy and faith is because it's not all there is. There is an incredible eternity that awaits for us. And when we're in these down moments, we're not being a pious Christian and going, oh, I'm just suffering for Jesus. That's not the whole point. The point is that in that moment, we are with Christ and that surpasses anything else. You are not alone in your suffering. He is with you. Now we don't get to choose when we preach. By golly, I should look at next year's calendar because it might give me an idea of the revelations God's going to work out in your life. Because whenever we preach, God has outworked the revelation in our hearts. This is not an empty theological rah-rah message from me. And you can look at my life and it is amazing. And there are some credible miracles that God is doing. You know, and our business is thriving and there's been breakthrough in that area. But I will tell you the last two years for me has been like the biggest, driest wilderness personally. And I have felt like everything I have touched has died. 
And everything that I'm good at was taken away. And everything that I loved, everything that I loved so dearly and was so dear to my heart, disappears. And I have been crying out to God, saying, this is so unfair. Look what I do for you. Why can't you fix this? And so I'm reading this scripture and the Holy Spirit goes, oh, look what I do for you. Like, is that really the way that you see it? Church, let's not fall into a place where we go, look what I do for you, God. Why aren't you fixing this? Instead, Paul says, follow Christ. He's right with you. And Christ says to you, look what I'm doing here. That very prayer that you prayed, this is me personally, that very prayer that you prayed for power, that you thought it was all going to roll on out, that's what I'm doing right now. You've got to empty you out so that I can fill you with the Spirit's power. Don't run away from the place that you're at. Embrace it. Rejoice in it because Christ is with you. And then walk it out. Walk it out with joy. Walk it out with Jesus. Church, can we close our eyes? I know I've gone over time today, but I hope that you've been encountering Jesus through this moment. What's God talking to you about? What's the challenge today? What's the the thing that He's saying, hey, it's about me and relationship? You might be here today and you don't know Jesus. There is nothing more amazing than a relationship with Jesus. And if you don't know Him as your Lord and Saviour, then I want to invite you that the doors are open wide and you get to walk into this relationship with the God of the entire universe just by accepting the sacrifice that His Son Jesus made on the cross. You couldn't save yourself from your own sin. There's nothing that you can do to make yourself right with God. But God loves you so much, the Bible says, that He sent His Son Jesus to die on a cross for you so that you can have life now with Him and eternal life forever, face to face with Jesus. That's the gospel message. It is such a precious message. And I want to invite you that if that's you today, or maybe that was you and you've kind of let life take it over, Maybe you're not walking with Jesus right now. The good news is that any moment, turn back to Him because you need to know that He's passionately pursuing you wherever you are. He doesn't stop. So if that's you, would you just give me a wave today? And I'd love to pray for you. Thank you, Jesus. Well, church, I wonder then, what is it that the Holy Spirit is talking to you about. Maybe maybe it's something about this foundation of Jesus. Maybe you're kind of looking at your life and going, oh, I'm not so sure that it's not just caught up in what it looks like, the religiousness of it all. Maybe it's, I, I just, I hear about this passionate relationship with Jesus, but I don't, I don't experience that. The good news is that That's not an elite thing for just a few people, but that same Jesus that speaks to my heart wants to speak to your heart. And I believe wants to start you on that journey of passionately pursuing Him where it's only Jesus. You become known as this person that's only Jesus in a really beautiful, life-giving way. 
okay? We're not talking weird. We're just talking life-giving. I also deeply sense that my testimony today is not alone. That there are people here that you have been walking something that others may not even know. It looks rosy on the outside, but on the inside is a deep ache because of a really hard season. Or maybe people do see it, maybe externally it just is really hard. I want to encourage you that find Jesus in it, that the reality of this scripture is that Jesus is with you, that you don't walk this alone and that in that suffering, in that pain, He is outworking the power of His resurrection. It's this both and works together. You don't just suffer without the power. The power doesn't always look like what you think because sometimes God is outworking something in you to bring you into an incredible place of power rather than pulling you out of right where you're at. It sounds like the wrong thing to do, but it's not. You've got to embrace where you're at because Jesus is with you. We are a people that passionately pursue Jesus. Like that's what the world will see because they're going to go, how can you be so faith-filled in that? I don't understand it. And you get to go because of Jesus. That's when Jesus becomes real. So I just want to give some space to just allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you. Thanks for joining us for the C3 Victory Podcast. We would love to see you at one of our services. To find out more, visit us online at c3victory.org.au or check us out on Facebook or Instagram.